minutes, actually. Quick check of what time it is. It's another acoustic alternative session at Grove Studios in Ypsilanti. I just uh, showed my guests the studio for his first visit, and uh, it's an impressive place. If you're in a band or if you're a DJ or a podcaster like myself and you're looking for a place to do the sort of thing you like to do and not try to annoy your neighbors while you're doing it, I think Grove Studios in Ypsilanti is an excellent choice, very affordable, 24-7 operation. You can use a keypad code that they give you when you come in and get yourself in at any time after you book your session, and you can book your session online. Look Grove Studios up and check them out. My guest today is somebody who has actually listened to my podcast, which is, I'm going to say, a little rare, actually. (laughs) It shouldn't be. I know it shouldn't be, and I appreciate that you do, Steve. Steve Taylor is here. Welcome, Steve. Thanks for having me, John. It's great to be here. Great to meet you in person, finally. We've been Facebook friends for a bit. We have, You've sent me CDs. Here is your CD collection. We'll display some of these uh, here on the cameras. All right. Uh, So that uh, back when I was doing some uh, radio at WHFR, I had the opportunity to play some of your music on the air there. Thank you. And uh, yeah, it's about time we we got together and met and talked about your life and your career and your music and all the things that make Steve Taylor a musician. Thank you. Well, first of all, let me just say thank you for doing this podcast because I think it's a great resource. And like I said, I discovered it when you posted the episode you did with Glenn Phillips. Oh, cool. And that led me into it. And then I just started just binging them. And it was a bunch of my friends that have been on your show. So it was fan, you know, great to listen to. Very nice. Uh, because we were uh, kind of pre-sound checking, now you're facing me and not the microphone. <laughs> I should be like this to That's talk. That's much I? better. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can catch that now as opposed to later. So let's talk about your, your music and you after you play a song. Okay. That's a good idea. I'm going um, to start off a song here. And get this harmonica happen. I don't know that we've had a harmonica yet, have I? Hmm. I don't know. I can't remember. I'm gonna have to lose the headphones. That's okay. I got I got the sound check going. Don't worry. Okay, good. What song are you gonna perform? Well, I'm gonna tell you. Uh, this is a song that's uh, from our uh, last record, which was called "Earn Every Scar." And uh, it's if you follow me at all at so on social media, you'll you'll quickly ascertain that uh, I'm no fan of winter. Uh, I'm more of a summer person, and. Uh, what I do every year is I, uh, I grow this ridiculous beard. <laughs> so I stop shaving the very first time it snows. Oh. And I don't shave for the entire winter. And then I wait for that, that first really nice day, you know, where the, the sun comes out and it's about 60 degrees and you can, you, can, you can hear the snow melting. And I know that's the end of winter. And then I feel like it's, shape, you know, it's safe to shave off. You're pretty sure we're done at that point. I hope, yeah, that, I have to make sure it's safe. I, I can't have my cheeks exposed to, to snow. It's have you the noticed point. the shift, though? Like, the, it's definitely shifting I into feel it. starts later, ends later. Oh, it's definitely. It's so definitely. Yeah, we weather's make, a big topic for me. Yeah, we, make, we <laughs> may call the seasons where they fall on the calendar, but that isn't where that's they are not, happening. Especially in Michigan. It's, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's not what's uh, happening. Uh, results may vary. Yes. Song, uh, song title again, I'm sorry. This song uh, is, is, is about the first warm day of spring, and it's called I Love you like the first warm day of spring <laughs> it goes like this I love you like the first warm day of spring as the sun shines upon the yellow grass trees begin to bud and the birds begin to sing love you like the first warm day of spring I love you like the last day of school When you walk out of class into the sun You could play the princess and I could be your fool I love you like the last day of school 
I love you like the changing of the leaves Walking softly through a gentle autumn breeze Just one kiss from you And I feel it in my knees I love you like the changing of the leaves I love you like the soft Christmas snow When it's early but the sun is going down When the day is finally done And I am coming home I love you like the soft Christmas snow Like the first warm day of spring When the edges of the lake still have ice I can feel your warm embrace And how your lips will taste When I hold you in my arms tonight I love you like the first warm day of spring When the sun shines upon the yellow grass And I smile as I drive Cause I know that you are mine And the wind moves the empty branches as I pass Lovely. First warm day of spring. Steve Taylor's here from Steve Taylor 3. Yes, thank you. This is the album you can find that on. Uh, Steve is my guest today on Acoustic Alternatives from uh, Grove Studios in Ypsilanti, and uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. And Thank you. You said this was the most recent album. I thought this was the most no, recent No, I'm sorry. Album. I didn't say the most recent. That was an album, uh, the, the previous one that oh, we okay. released in 2020. Our, our most recent album, you're right, is Travel Light, which came out in 2022. Very well. We'll get to that in, in a short while. Yeah. Let's go back way back to young Steve Taylor. Okay. Before, Let's go back there. Before we Googled and we would have found Steve Taylor from the Christian rock band right. scene who was born in 1957. Clearly not you. Not me. No, exactly. You're not that old. Um, <laughs> where did you grow up? In the... I was uh, was born in Royal Oak uh, and uh, grew up in, uh, we, well, we lived in Royal Oak and then uh, my dad was a physician and uh, he was drafted into Vietnam and got a deferment and we lived on a Air Force Base in Oscoda oh. for the time I was zero to four, you know, and uh, we moved down and they bought a house in uh, Beverly Hills. Okay. And so we grew up in Birmingham. Strangely, second guest in the last couple of weeks, from Annie Caps also grew oh. up in Beverly Hills. No kidding. <laughs> went wow. to school there. Though she went to all girls schools, so okay. uh, not a chance you went to the same school, pretty probably sure. Probably not. Probably no. not. No. Unless you did something I don't know about. It. <laughs> no. no. Okay. Yeah. Just, all public schools. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Uh, and what kind of things were you doing as a kid? You know, just uh, uh, playing with Star Wars figures, and uh, that's kind of was a big part of my my childhood. I, I had a real active imagination, and uh, I think for me, music was the thing that bridged the childhood with you know, kind of coming into young adulthood. You know, was the music kind of brought me out of it. I think you know, I was uh, definitely an imaginative kid. You know, I liked drawing and I liked playing and uh, uh, kind of spent hours in my room just kind of with the Legos and all that kind of stuff. 
So a creative kid. Yes, I think so, yes. Always thinking about how to make something. Correct. And eventually that turned into writing songs. When did it you did. start writing songs? I probably started writing songs or trying to when I was about 12. Really? And I didn't even play an instrument. Well, prior to being 12, I started when I was 12. But I didn't uh, play anything prior to that. But I would just try to make up words and try to put them. Sometimes I would just take existing melodies and and rewrite them so weird out kind of like weird out but my songs weren't funny <laughs> okay <laughs> it was just sort of it was an exercise i think what it, what it was it was sort of a stepping stone to sort of using the template of an existing song but uh yeah and started the first instrument i ever learned was bass guitar when hmm. i was 12 years old because my friends and i wanted to start a band and nobody played bass seems to be the problem yeah finding you know, a good bass player i tell all my students if you learn to play bass you'll never be without a gig so you can do bass and guitar still, I assume. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I started with on bass, and that was the first instrument. And uh, I there was a Motley Crue video on MTV called Looks That Kill. Mm-hmm. And I saw Nikki Six, and I thought, i got to play whatever that guy plays. <laughs> and it turned out he was the bass player, also the songwriter, oh, ironically. So That's true. Yeah, so really that was my entrance. I just started on bass guitar, started taking lessons at a music store in, uh, in, uh, on Woodward Avenue. And I took lessons for two years until the store went out of business. Uh-oh. Was it your fault? <laughs> it was not my fault. Okay. No, good. but it's, it's, it's a flower shop now and has been for the last, you know, 35 years or so. Did you ever pick up other instruments besides bass and guitar? I did. Well, I started on bass when I was 12 until the music store went out of business. Yes. And then I, um, then I taught myself guitar from what I learned from bass. The only th- problem was, you know, there was no internet, obviously, back then. The bass only has four strings, as you know. The guitar has six. I tuned the entire guitar to the fifth fret, oh. which doesn't work, you know, because there's one string in the guitar that's tuned a half step lower. <laughs> so I had, a, unbeknownst to me, I had invented a tuning that wasn't real. So for about three months, I had all these chords worked out. And then one of my friends picked it up and said, what'd you do to this? This isn't tuned right. <laughs> so that was my entrance into guitar. You should just make it a four string guitar. <laughs> I really should have. I really should have. Could have. And then at 15, I started teaching myself piano. Okay. Yeah. Too bad we don't have one of those here. I know. That's right. People always ask me, they go, why don't you play piano more at your gigs? And I always say, it's too heavy. They're too heavy. It's too heavy. Unless you want to do the Ben Folds thing and drag it around everywhere you go. That's right. And he does. (laughs) It's amazing. It is pretty amazing. All right. So who would be, besides Nikki Six, which is a strange influence for the way you sound today. I know. Who would have been the influence on the sound you chose to create for the Steve Taylor sound? That's a great question because it's it's really weird, like you said, because I grew up on Van Halen and Motley Crue and Bon Jovi and all these. You great mentioned that hard in a song bands. on this album. <laughs> that's yeah, that's right. <laughs> but when I started writing songs, they didn't come out like that at all. I don't know really where it came from, but uh, I always kind of when I started writing songs, they always kind of had this sort of Americana country vibe to them. Hmm. And uh, yeah, but once I really started getting into music, and I mean, I was obviously a huge fan of the Beatles. Everybody is. You you hope so anyway. Yeah. You know, they're one of the best. And then, uh, I mean, when I was in high school and I was getting out of, um, I was expanding my musical horizons and I started to get exposed to sort of REM and uh, the replacements and the Pixies and, you know, and then when I got into college, for me, like the really, the bands that were really influential to me were like Toad the Wet Sprocket and Glenn Phillips, you know, and, uh, Soul Asylum. Dave mm-hmm. Perner was a big songwriting influence. And uh, Evan Dando from the Lemonheads. I yes. went to school in Boston, so I got to see Evan Dando's solo acoustic sort oh. of at different places, you know, in, in Boston in the mid-90s. Nice. Yeah. So those are the guys that were probably the biggest influence on my songwriting. So you could have turned out to be an alt-rocker, but you're still not quite. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, I don't think I was cool enough. <laughs> <laughs> you could be. I mean, you have the look. You could be an alt-rocker. That's true. Um, yeah. 
So, all right. So then you eventually graduated. Not graduated. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I love all the yeah. music you mentioned, too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's good stuff. Uh, you absolutely. Know. But then there's a turn that goes towards you know, the, the singer-songwriter scene and makes right. you feel comfortable. It's just right. That's your comfort zone. That's true. Yeah. I mean, right after college, I, I moved back to Michigan from Boston, and I uh, joined an alternative rock band called the Voodoo Hippies which I played in for about 10 years. I have that in my notes. Oh, good, good, yeah. After you graduated from Berkeley, apparently. That's right, yes. I yes. didn't know you went to Berkeley until I looked that up. Uh, yeah, Berkeley College of Music, which a lot of people, when they hear Berkeley, they immediately think Berkeley in California. No. This was Berkeley spelled with two E's. It's in Boston. Yeah, when I talk to musicians, when I say Berkeley, that's what I mean. <laughs> that's what you mean, yeah. Not, I had relatives that still thought I was in the West Coast. Oh, so, no. You know. No, no. Yes. <laughs> it's a great school of music who I've had several guests that have come through, mm-hmm. whether graduates or attendees. Uh, Liz Longley, Seth Clear, several, again, that have been on the podcast are definitely from that, that school of thought. What did you learn that you've carried forward? What kinds of things are you still using from that education? It's, it's a great question because Berkeley is a really interesting place. You know, it's one of the only places in the world where you can go and actually get a degree studying popular music because most other places are conservatories. It's all classical, yeah. you know. And uh, at Berkeley, what, one of the things I really responded to is they, they kind of force you to be a well-rounded musician. They, you have to learn a little bit of everything. Hmm. The drummers have to take a little bit of piano, and they don't really like that. But, it's a percussive uh, instrument. You have to. Exactly. And they want everyone to understand theory in a, in a very specific way, which I think is good. I learned a lot about, you know, they made us take music business classes and arranging classes and ear training classes. So my time there, I think, was well spent. And I learned a lot, you know, a lot that even some is still sinking in, you know, because sometimes, especially with music, you might learn things, but it might take a while to really apply it, you know. As an independent musician, that business class is probably coming in pretty handy right now. Exactly, Because yeah. you didn't know you needed to be more than a songwriter and a singer, right? <laughs> that's, that's correct. You didn't know you needed to manage your own websites and, you know, post your stuff on all the social media and everything that goes along with yeah. not just playing songs. Right. There's so much more to it. People don't even think of that half mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. So. Even the songwriting department when I was there was geared more towards writing songs for other people. It wasn't quite geared towards singer-songwriters yet. Okay. So it's kind of interesting. And obviously back then there was no internet. Yes. So it was a different, it was a different world. Different. Yes. Very different. <laughs> so you also went to Wayne State University. Was that before Berkeley or after? That was after. I went to Berkeley right out of high school. Okay. You know, 18 years old. And then, uh, and after I'd graduated Berkeley and I'd moved back to Michigan, I was here, you know, back for a couple of years and just decided maybe how hard would it be to get a master's? And, uh, so I didn't really make the decision to get a master's. I made the decision to go back to school and okay. take some classes. And did you finish? I did, yeah. What, what's your degree? I got a master's degree in music theory. Very nice. Yeah, which was great. You know, I just wanted to learn as much as I could, and uh, I, I enjoyed my time there. So yeah. in addition to performing your own music, you are also a teacher, sounds I, like. I am, yes, yeah. What else do you do besides the teaching and the performing? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I teach private lessons, which I've always done since I graduated college. I've, always, I've taught mainly guitar and piano. But I teach, you know, ukulele, saxophone, cello, violin, you know. And sometimes I've had students that are interested in songwriting and they just want to work on songwriting. So I've made myself kind of a one-stop shopping for the, the families that I work for. Sometimes they'll start on piano when they're young and they get into high school and they decide they want to play guitar. And okay. I say, switch to guitar. You can do this. Yes, yes. So <laughs> I've always done a lot of private lessons. And I always, always have done it the same way, which is I drive house to house. Ah. You know, do that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're comfortable that way. And I've always taught in private schools because I don't have a teaching degree. I have a degree in songwriting from Berkeley, and I have a master's degree in music theory. I do not have a 
elementary education degree, which you need to teach in a public school. That's very true. Though you, you could sub with your degree. You could sub in any school and make probably a lot of money on a daily basis. Right, right. <laughs> but yes. not necessarily teaching music, mm-hmm. teaching other things. That's right. Yeah. So the voodoo hippies came when you moved back. Correct. Right? So you're you're just finished with Berkeley. You're going yep. to Wayne State. You're down now with voodoo hippies. You get a chance to open for some from big bands, I read, anyway. Yes. O- Oasis, really? Open yes. for Oasis? It was, well, it was incredible because I the voodoo, the voodoo hippies were already established as a band in Detroit before okay. I joined. I joined, they needed a bass player, and they expanded to a five-piece. And uh, the first big show I did with the voodoo hippies was we opened up for Grand Funk Railroad at Pine Knob. Nice. And I, like everybody, grew up going to concerts there. So yeah. to actually to be able to open... And be on that stage as a performer was incredible. I bet. And then, uh, yeah, and then I think it was the next year, uh, Oasis was playing the State Theater. They call it the Fillmore now, but yes. back then it was known as the State Theater. And It was Clubland at one point. Oh, that's Clubland. I forgot about Clubland. I right. danced there when I used to dance. I remember <laughs> dancing to Nine Inch Nails there, actually. Wow. Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> I think we're probably right around the same I'm age. I'm a little older than you. Not <laughs> yeah, by much. Not much. By five years, I think. <laughs> but... Uh, um, yeah, they must have booked it like because the week that they played there, they were like the biggest band on the planet, yeah. you know, and they it was completely sold out because it's not that big of a place. No. At that point, they probably could have played the Palace, but it must have been in place because it was. I remember Wonderwall was gigantic that week, you know, so that was incredible. And the the Gallagher brothers already had a reputation for being volatile, so yeah. we were told not to look at them, not to talk to them, you know. But we played our set opening up for Oasis and. Um, they stood in the wings of the stage and watched us the entire time. And then, you know, afterwards we ran back to our dressing room and, you know, and we closed the door. And then all of a sudden, a few seconds later, we heard this. And we were like, I'm not going to get it. Yeah. <laughs> and we opened up the door and there was Noel Gallagher. Wow. And he just said, great show, lads. Great show. Wow. He said, thanks, Noel. You know? Wow. Yeah. I mean, couldn't have been nicer. And it was an incredible experience, especially... One to have at 23 years old. I think that's how old I was at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially, again, given the reputation of them not being the nicest folks in the world. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. That cool was memories. A, yeah. It was, good, it was a good time. It was, like I said, I was in that band for nine years. And in that time, we got to do a lot of touring and a lot of opening for National Acts, which was easier to do back then. Yeah. You know? Not so. Not so. <laughs> Everything's different now. Yeah. Everything, Everything is different. Steve Taylor is my guest on Acoustic Alternatives today. We're at Grove Studios in Ypsilanti. Would you like to do another song before we continue? I, w- I would love to do another song. Please this do. Is a great setup. And uh, um, I'd like to do, you know, I'm going to do this song that's from our very first record. Okay. Take off the headphones take again because we have another harmonica solo. Harmonica back on here. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you the story. This is an interesting story. Uh, on the microphone would be helpful. There, there we go. There we go. <laughs> The uh, writing of this song and the sort of inspiration for this song. This is a song um, from our very first record we did with the Steve Taylor Three. And um, the song is called Uncommon Places. And I wrote it. um, I have two boys. Uh, They are 17 and 14 now. But at the time, they were much smaller. And uh, they were babies. And we were heading up north uh, on a vacation. And uh, we, we got on 75 and started driving north. And I was driving, and my wife was riding shotgun, and they were both in the back, you know, back seat strapped in like little astronauts. And I remember just looking in the rearview mirror right as the sun was setting, and they were both just asleep, you know, just with the most beatific looks on their faces. And it was one of those moments that I just, I just wanted to hang on to it for as long as I could. So I wrote this song as a way of preserving that memory so that when I hear it, I can imagine that feeling and see that image in my mind. Nice. So that's sort of the inspiration, the writing of it. And this was why I thought this might be interesting, um, especially for for you, John, which is uh, a student of mine 
this is many, many years ago, had given me a CD one day and he said, you know, I think you'd like this guy. He's, you know, he's a songwriter and he's like you, you know, and he gave me a CD and it was Griffin House's album Lost and Found. So recent guest on, or not recent, but a guest on, a, you know, Acoustic Alternatives. Somebody who's incorporated me into one of his songs, yes, <laughs> which is the weirdest yes. thing that's ever happened And I to thought me. that was incredible, too, that he name dropped you in a song. I was like, yes, I didn't did. know that until I heard the podcast. So if you haven't heard that podcast, anyone listening to this podcast should go back and check out, you know, the other podcasts because they're you. all fantastic. They're great interviews. Thank but you. I bring this up because I put the album in my CD player and the second song on that record is called Ami. And it starts with this drum beat, which is, you know, sometimes people call it the train drum beat, the you know, and I listened to just that drum beat and then I hit stop because I got the idea for the song I'm about to play just from that drum beat. And I didn't want to hear the song because I wanted to go home and just write to that drum beat. Yeah. So, all right. Song title again is what? The song title is Uncommon Places. Full moon, purple sky, amber waves go rushing by, out the window of the car, while my children are asleep, safe and sound, in the backseat. And as I watch the fading twilight, dancing on their faces, I'm finding that the best things in life come. These uncommon places For the past few years I've been knee-deep in wind-up toys Getting used to all the noise around here And I know that you Have been carrying a heavy load Thought you had to do it all on your own Can't you see I'm not going anywhere and I will always love you, I always will be there In these uncommon places These uncommon places From the moment we're born To the moment we die There's a million little moments Don't let them pass you by If the devil's in the details Then forget what you can see Cause what makes us who we are Are the spaces in between Just a look and no words exchanged But in that moment something changed And as I'm running round and round In life's meaningless races I try to stay in touch with the truth that can be found In these uncommon places in these uncommon places Looking at those faces In these uncommon places 
full moon, purple sky, amber waves go rushing by. Uncommon Places, Steve Taylor from Steve Taylor 3, or his solo work as well, here on Acoustic Alternatives. And again, we're at Grove Studios, and I'm going to give them a plug because they are so kind to me. They were the ones who encouraged the whole idea of a podcast in the first place. And uh, without them saying, hey, be a guest on our podcast, we want you to do your podcast here. Okay, let me try it out. And so became kind of hooked coming in here and feel comfortable. And I think you would, too, if you're a podcaster or a band looking for a place to play. You saw it, Steve. Yeah, it's great. It's It's great. Pretty cool place. So check out their website. I don't have it memorized, even though I look it up all the time. But it's simple as going Grove Studios, Ypsilanti, and you'll find it pretty easily. Thank you for playing that. And the stories sure. behind the songs are always important for, I think, for people appreciating you know, the song a little bit more. I think so, too. I've, I've always enjoyed that aspect of songwriting. And performing, too. When mm-hmm. you're out in a, I mean, when you're playing a bar, it's very unlikely you're going to try to tell the story about the song. That's true. However, if you're getting into a listening room, and I know you do those as well, you can mm-hmm. give those little backstories and connect with the listeners. Do you find that that's the case when you're performing, that you get more people coming up to you at a listening show than you do in a bar because they're actually... That's absolutely true. Yes, yes. You're getting the gist across. Right. Otherwise, it's just sounds like, oh, that sounds like something. (laughs) They're not really picking up on it. That's absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the things I like about doing songwriter rounds. Oh, okay. Is is having the opportunity to tell a story and then play the song. And you're right. I think people connect more to the song when they hear why you wrote it or what it's about. Also, sometimes you want to let them interpret it themselves, though. That's a good point. Depends on the song. That's very true. If you've written a vague song about nothing particular, but you know what it's about, <laughs> sometimes it's best to let them think, oh, that's about my dog, when it's really about your grandmother. Right. So, <laughs> so the, we left off of the Voodoo Hippies. Yes. Uh, you went solo at some point, about 2005 or so. Is that's that about correct. Right? Yeah, the band, uh, we uh, ended in 04. And then in 2005 was when I played my first solo acoustic gig, which I was really, you know, frightened to do i'd never done it i'd always played in bands mm-hmm. and you know the idea of going up in front of a room full of people by myself and playing really i was like i didn't know if i could do it and uh the thing is when you play at a bar as soon as they turn off the house music and you start playing i mean all eyes immediately go on you and it's it's when you're playing with a band you got a drummer behind you and you've got this power it was just me and a guitar you know and that was kind of you know i did my first one of those in 2005 and um it was a great learning experience and honestly really reinvigorated my enthusiasm for music because it was, it was so much freedom all of a sudden. I could play anything I wanted. I didn't have to check with anyone. I could change the key. I could do whatever I wanted. Yeah, no, don't need to call an audible. You just go. Let's do it. You just <laughs> well, do it. Where was that first solo gig? The very first solo gig I played was a place called Gus O'Connor's oh, yeah. in downtown Rochester. Oh, now yeah. it's just called O'Connor's. Yeah, I remember that place. And uh, the owner liked me a lot and I, they, they kept calling me and kept having me back and... Uh, I started, my name got passed around, and I, all of a sudden I was really busy playing solo acoustic gigs. Yeah, I mean, you've been part of the music scene for almost 20 years yeah. as a solo artist, almost, mm-hmm. which is a long time. Uh, you're, yeah. We're going to talk about this. You're okay. for some Detroit Music Awards yes, in am. the country category. Now, your roots are definitely that country. Mm-hmm. We talked about Motley Crue being you know, one of the <laughs> reasons. True. You know, you're listening to the new album, you name drop rock bands that you listen to in high school. Yeah. Um, you're not really a rock artist. You're not really a country artist, but you're up for country music and Americana, which Americana. Course actually makes much more sense yes. to me. But uh, the Detroit Music Awards, he's up for outstanding vocalist, songwriter, Americana group, Americana recording, instrumentalist, and country recording. Yes. High five. Congratulations. <laughs> That's you. pretty awesome. It's, it's an honor. It really is. I mean, I, I'm part of the process. So there's three phases to this thing. There's the 
You have 10 people, pick 10 things, whether it's a record, a person, whatever, throw it in the category. Okay, then the next phase is pick three of your favorite of these categories. Okay, and then it's now, now you're actually voting. Like, you made it all the way through. That's it. It, it is a process that people, a lot of people don't understand. And yeah, it, making the final ballot is, is a huge honor because it's not easy to do because there's so many talented people in this town. So just to have your name in the mix, I think, is, is really is, is, is an honor unto itself. But to, yeah, to have this many nominations is great. But if you were to, if we'd met for the first time, yes, and I said, "Oh, what do you do?" and you'd say, "Oh, I play music." What kind of music? This is a normal conversation between non-music people. Yeah, you would say, "I will always say Americana." Then how the hell are you in a country category? Well, that's just for the single. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But still, <laughs> I'm I'm not really sure to be honest with you. But the, uh, I mean, obviously, there are some crossover between the genre of yeah. Americana and the genre of country. So our album is up for best Americana album, but our single, our Christmas single, was put me in the country category. I'm not really sure why. I'll take it. You're not complaining. They, they could put me in any category they want. Yes. Do you, <laughs> I'd be honored. You don't typically play country bars, so that's why I was like, hmm, okay, I'm yeah. just confused by the whole thing. But again, congrats. Yeah. Anyway, so you were playing solo. You, you graduated uh, to, well, actually, I, it sounds like what I've read, the band formed itself without you asking. <laughs> it, re- it really did. <laughs> Tell me that. It's an interesting story because I was playing bars solo and... Um, you know, my, 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 my good friend, Brian Frank, who I have known since high school, and uh, he kept saying uh, he had a drummer that he played with in another band named Carrie Weaver, and they weren't doing anything. You know, we'd all played in original bands. All our original bands had broken up, and they weren't playing at all, and they said, we want to come play with you at some of your acoustic gigs. And I said, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll do that. But I never, I never followed up on it, and I think they ran out of pace. And so <laughs> I was playing at a bar called Dick O'Dow's in downtown Birmingham one night on a Wednesday, and they just showed up. Mm-hmm. They didn't ask me. They didn't tell me they were coming. They showed up, and they started setting up behind me. <laughs> and my, my drummer actually built a drum kit, a small kit. He took a floor tom, flipped it over, made that his bass drum. He built this tiny drum kit. They started setting it up, and, I, and all of a sudden, I, they, I turned around and said, all right, let's, let's do this. And now their names are on the records. And now their names are <laughs> But the funny thing about it, it was we had a great time, and uh, we, we, we played, I think, for two years before we ever rehearsed. We, we just played, we would just gig. Yeah. You know, we just do three sets and we just funny. make it up as we went along. And, and at the second gig, this is another thing that they did to me. They, they decided to call the band the Steve Taylor Three because they knew I would never go for it. So they showed up with t-shirts and posters <laughs> that had the band name and blows on it. And I was just like, I don't even know if I want to be in a band called the Steve Taylor uh, Three. And that's my you, name. But you are. You actually kind of probably need it because because of the other Steve Taylor and the fact that your name is rather common. It's that's hard to find common. you. It is. It is. There's a lot of Steve Taylors. We should start a club. So there's less Steve Taylor Threes, and that's actually not a bad thing. I always tell people if they're looking for me online or looking for our music, search the band name yes. or search the album name. Because if you search my name, it's going to be way too, too broad. hard to find. Too yeah. broad. Exactly. Too many of us. Yeah, there's yeah. a few John Bomberitos. There's a car salesman in Missouri. Oh, Actually, really? Griffin House took a picture of the license plate, you know, like the frame. Yeah, the frames. He's like, hey, Bomberito, is that you? I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not me, but I'm aware of that gentleman. Ah, so you, you know my pain. <laughs> yes, yeah. I do. I mean, Bomberito's common Italian name, sort of, anyway. Mm, yeah. So sometimes it's not just three, sometimes other people become part of the band. I've seen video with. That's true. I mean, we, we've always kind of kept that as an open thing. And we, we played with a pedal steel player for a long time named Larry LeBeck. Mm-hmm. And people all go, Wow, your band's called the Steve Taylor Three. And I, I always say, The Ben Fold Five was a trio. Like it's it's so sometimes we do four sometimes we have when we did our, our album release party for the Tennessee sessions we had our pedal steel player we had a four piece horn section and two backing vocals so we were 
The Steve Taylor 10 then. Yeah, three <laughs> plus one, plus seven. Right. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason why we usually spell out three rather than putting the number three because it's really it's less about the number and more about that's just the name of the band. Yes. Maybe you can say you play three instruments and that's mm-hmm. why you call, like Ben Folds, it was five because of the five fingers, I believe. That's oh, why. is that why? Pretty that? sure. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because uh, Brian and Carrie were the ones that we'd just been playing covers and bars. We were just doing it for fun, you know, and they said... We want to start working on original music again. We want to make an album. Cool. And I said, that's great. I've got a bunch of songs that I never had a chance to record. And they kind of looked at each other and looked back at me. And they said, we don't want to work on old songs. We want to write brand new songs. And I said, then we'll write brand new songs. What did you do with the old ones? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, when, if you want to fast forward to 2020. <laughs> I just pushed a button. <laughs> you just did it. Well, it's funny because... Um, Obviously, we hit the pandemic and... Uh, what? What are you talking about? Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Still having flashbacks from it, you know. Yeah, I know. But uh, we put our album out, Earn Every Scar, on March 7th of 2020. And it was the week before the world shut down. Yeah, I was the following week at St. Andrew's Hall watching Howard Jones and then not ever seeing anything again for a long time. That's right, yeah. yeah. And we made a... It's probably our fault because we had t-shirts that said Summer Tour 2020. Oh, thanks. With a list of all the festivals we're going to play. Great. You can find those on eBay now for cheap because oh. every single, sh- you know, <laughs> canceled, canceled, all canceled, canceled, canceled. So when, we, when I was stuck at home, you know, all my gigs were canceled. I couldn't teach private lessons. You know, um, I, I teach at a school and uh, we kind of did some virtual stuff for the rest of that year. But uh, really, you know, I was just stuck at home and I had recorded a solo album in 2005 called and so on. And I, you know use this thing called a digital audio workstation, abbreviate DAW. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, you know, you can record 12 tracks and you could burn straight to a CD. I mean, it's 20 years outdated now as far as technology goes, but sure. I still have it. Yeah. So I went in my basement and I had some demos on there that I had done and I just kept adding instruments, you know, to these recordings of songs that I had never released. Mm-hmm. You know, and finally I decided, you know, I'm going to put that out just as a little, you know, people are doing it all the time now where they're recording albums in their bedrooms yeah. You know, at home. So I thought, I thought these are good songs and I'd like to share them with people. So I just kind of put out a little solo album and I called it Beside Myself. What do you know? Hey. There it is. Available <laughs> for the camera. Let's put that, this one down, put Beside Myself. There you go. And we got ourselves to that part of the story. That's right. <laughs> and you can see that underneath the CD there, there's a picture of what my studio. I'm using air quotes when I say studio because... It's literally the basement under my basement stairs where it's all, all my recording gear is set up. Yep. You can't really get more than one person in there. I do see it. Very nice. If you want to see it yourself, CDs are available at your website, which is, you don't have one, darn it. Uh, that's right. We're going to find one for you. I'm, I'm working on putting one together. They can find it at shows. You bring them to the shows, right? I do bring them to the shows. Yeah. I do have them at shows. I always have them with me. And uh, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of good stuff. So when you're writing new material, do you have a go-to person where you vet it through them and you go, hey, check out this song. Tell me if it's any good. Pretty much my band. I always say when I'm writing songs, I'm writing for an audience of two. I'm just, I'm really just writing songs to see if it's something they'd be interested in playing or recording. You know, and that's kind of how we operate. And then once I bring it into them, you know, we share all the songwriting credits equally just because I wouldn't have written any of these songs without without Brian and Carrie. And, and we get in the practice room and we all help arrange them and put them together. And uh, they're always all the songs are always better after they've been filtered through the band, in my opinion. Good. Yeah. Nice. And nice to have people to go to on that. It is, and people that I've known for a long time and that I trust, and you know, there's just three of us, so it's right. less people that disagree with. That's right. <laughs> another song. Let's do another song. Yeah. I'm going to let you do it. I'm not singing. Okay. All right. Okay. What song is it? Um. Uh. Let's see. What song should I play? I don't know. Play um, the one. Play the one about if you're. 
compared to the one you wrote about your dad and your family and oh, the house. The, oh, yeah, this old house. Yeah, because yeah, we've mentioned it twice already. We have. And I wish we should follow that we up. For probably, sure. Some people know what we're talking about. Yeah, this is so this is a song that's on our record. Um, uh, the Move record's called Travel Light. Move it back up front. Yep, that one up front. <laughs> Not sure what the camera angle is doing because I can't see the cameras. Well, my uh, like I said, my parents bought a house in Beverly Hills in 1977, and they lived there until about five years ago when they sold the house. And, uh, you know, obviously I knew someday that was going to be a thing, but, to, you know, I wasn't quite prepared for it emotionally. Mm-hmm. And ironically, uh, Brian Frank, my bass player, when he was starting his family, they bought a house in that neighborhood. <laughs> so every week I go to rehearsal at Brian's house and I get to drive by my old house. Strange. But I always say I wrote this song because it was cheaper than going to therapy, you know. Just to get all the get all the memories out, you know. So the song is called This Old House. It goes like this. This old house was built back in 1964. The year after Kennedy when the Beatles came ashore. The only home I ever knew child memories preserved. Every thought I ever had, every song I ever heard My dad called me up just the other day Said we're selling that old place, mom and I are gonna move away We're just too old to keep it up, too old to cut the lawn And our neighbor's dog just keeps barking on and on Well, I know you understand that it has to be this way I always knew the day would come, I didn't know it was today It's just brick and wood, drywall, paint and stone But it's a place within my heart where I never felt alone Now there's a gold river of memories flowing through me now I grew up underneath this house, I'll miss this old house I had an older brother in the room next door I had a million Legos spread out on the floor If these old walls could talk, they would have so much to say BB guns and broken glass and all the games we used to play Basement where I built the spaceship underneath the stairs The bed in which I used to sleep with my favorite polar bear The posters of my heroes covered ceiling to the floor Van Halen by the window and Bon Jovi on the door I front the street in which I learned to ride my bike Above the stars I wished upon when I couldn't sleep at night The fireplace I sat in front on the coldest Christmas Eve In the town I loved but couldn't wait to leave It's not the same, so much has changed between then and now I've got a family of my own but I miss this old house Games have kicked the can And the tree that broke my arm Burning wrapping paper Setting off the smoke alarm 
The bathroom that once got destroyed when some fireworks went wrong. The window I sat looking out when I wrote my first song. The refrigerator that displayed our first attempts at art. The bedroom where I cried at night when the first girl broke my heart. Well, this old house has seen it all, two boys growing into men. But everything has changed and every story has to end. I'm older now and I know that one day I will be too old to climb the stairs, too old to trim the tree. I'm sure my boys will feel the same as I am feeling now. And the circle will complete itself, they'll miss this old house. This old house This old house Steve Taylor is my guest on Acoustic Alternatives today. This old house can be found on his latest album, which is entitled The Travel Light. Yes. Yes, I've had it in my head before I started started talking and then I lost it because I was thinking about how you don't want career advice for me necessarily, but when you're doing an in-the-round show, make sure you include that one. Thank you, yes. I think that that is a shining example of songwriting of yours. I mean, it's a Thank relatable you. story. We all have a childhood. We do. Everyone had a house, hopefully. Uh, yeah. That's the, the hopeful, yeah. yeah. And it just we all feel something when we hear something about that nostalgia. It, yeah. It's nice. So Thank you. We actually made a video for that song. I know. And uh, didn't make it to the final round of the Detroit Music Awards, but... Uh, you're up for enough, though. It's fine, yeah. <laughs> but it was great because it was like... Um, a few years ago, my mom gave me a little stick, and it was like all these pictures. My dad used to take slides, you know, in the yeah. carousel, yeah. and she had them all converted to digital. And I was going through all these pictures, and there's pictures of the room, and everything that's in the song ended up in the video. And I got childhood pictures from Brian and Carrie, too, and we kind of yeah. put it together. So if you but, want to see Steve growing up, it's right there. That's right. Yeah, you can see it. What were you going to say? It. You said but, and I interrupted. Um, I was just going to say that... Um, uh, I my parents obviously love that song, and uh, but I remember when I first wrote it, they had sold the house, but they hadn't moved out yet. And oh. I, I came came to them with the guitar. I'm like, I got to play this song. I couldn't get through the song. Oh. It was it was too, it was too much. <laughs> Even when they come to see me now, I you know they they want me to play the song, and I said I'm going to play it. I'm going to look at the, a fixed spot on the wall because if I if I look at my parents, mm-hmm. my dad he's very funny because he'll yell out, "That's true, it's true." He likes to <laughs> let people know shows, that everything yeah. in the song is 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 true. When I was uh, preparing for the interview, a lot of times I'll dig in deep. And, you, know, oh, you sent me all the CDs. Yes. I appreciate that. So yeah. I was listening and really what stood out to me as I was listening to, the, to your lyrics, and this is not anything but an observation, you're a sensitive guy. It's true. It's very, it's very true. And we talked about I was a sensitive kid. I was a sensitive artistic kid. I wasn't much interested in sports. And, yeah. uh, and I, that kind of went into adulthood. And I think the older I get, you know, especially having kids and having my kids get older, I, I always say the harder it gets to control my emotions, like the older that you get, you know, and I, I don't think that's something that I'm going to shy away from. I'm kind of leaning into it with the songwriting, you know, be human, be human. Yeah, because we can relate that way. Right. Yeah. You know, I think the older you get, you kind of drop your sort of macho facade and it just becomes I always say, tell the people that you love that you love them because yeah. they're not going to be around forever. That's right. Yeah. And Nikki Six probably does that too. I'm sure he as does. Tough as he looks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> he may not have been your idol, right? <laughs> but yeah. either way, yeah. as as I looked as well, I noticed that you've got a nice press quote from Gary Graff, which yes. is a very nice thing to have in your resume. Because 
Mm-hmm. He's freaking Gary Graff. He's written about great. everybody from Springsteen to Alice Cooper to whatever. He has. He's written so many books. And he's a great guy. I've known Gary for, you know, 25, 30 years. He was a um, good friend of the Voodoo Hippies. And uh, and uh, he's just such a great writer and, uh, you know, very supportive of uh, the local music scene as well. I've noticed that as well. Yes. I appreciate him too. I don't, yes. I mean, we've met, but I don't think if you said John Bomber, you'd go like, oh, yeah, I know exactly who that is. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people in everybody's <laughs> lives. It's hard to remember everybody. So uh, the other things I think you do, if I've done my research well, okay. you also are an arranger, and oh, you've yeah. done a, at least a film score, if not more I than did, one. I did, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, that was interesting. Uh, I had a friend of mine that I had uh, um, known from high school that made an independent film. <clears throat> I mean, got got the funding, used real actors from a you know an agency and everything. But he said, I want you to write the score. He goes, I don't have a budget, hmm. you know. And, uh, but I really wanted to do it, you know, and he shot the whole thing on actual film, you know, which, you know, cause this is kind of, this was, I don't know, I remember around the year 2000 that he did this independent film, but, uh, yeah, you know, I remember setting up a little TV monitor next to my computer and kind of composing while watching the hmm. film. And, and I had to say to him, I said, I can write a full orchestra score if you want. That doesn't mean I get, I have anybody that can play it. Right. I don't have the DSO tucked <laughs> in my back pocket, but I ended up writing it for strings you know, a string, you know, yeah. strings. And I wrote uh, clarinet, flute, and then some guitar and piano. Interesting. So I got a, I was at Wayne State at the time. And uh, I got a string quartet that I knew from Wayne State to come in. And I said, I got in the studio, set them up in a circle. And I said, play the lowest part you guys all have. And we did it. And I said, now do the next one. And we just kept layering it. So it, it sounded like a full orchestra, and it was just four people nice. playing all the string parts. Very clever. But I used that same string quartet because I would get hired to write string quartets for rock bands because mm-hmm. I did one for the Voodoo Hippies. We were recording at Temper Mill Studios in Ferndale, mm-hmm. and our producer was a guy named Dave Feeney. Oh, yeah. And uh, I said, I'm, I'm going to write a string quartet for this. And he kind of went, yeah. I go, no, really. And and I wrote the whole thing by hand. This was before I was even doing notation software. Yeah. And I just remember when you write a score, you write it all on the same page. And then you copy the parts out for the players. I'd forgotten to copy the parts. <laughs> so I remember being at Temper Mill Studios and Renee Paquette, who was the lead singer of the Voodoo Hippies, she could read music. So I handed said, copy the score to this staff paper. I'm going to copy this. And the session was going to start in like a half an hour. And I remember Kid Rock was in the next room mixing something really loud. And we're hand copying these string parts. But it turned out great. And then Dave heard it and spread my name around. And rock bands started calling me because mm-hmm. I had one foot in both camps. I could read and write music. But I also understood how rock songwriting works. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing you know string quartets for a couple of Stuart Frankie records and a bunch of other stuff. That was great. I'm glad I asked. I yeah. like that story a lot. It's, it's, yeah, so, yeah that, that's had a long career, John. There's been some interesting twists and there turns. There has. <laughs> so that was movie scoring. Have you thought about acting at all? Guys, I'm, this is a weird thing to say, but I'm going to okay. say it anyway. All right. As I look at your pictures, your, your press photos and things like that, I look at you and I go, John Foreman, Switchfoot. You could play John Foreman in a biopic of Switchfoot. Really? Which I imagine they could do one of those one day. They were big enough. Okay, yeah. I, I don't know if you are familiar with Switchfoot. I know, I know the name. Yeah. And I don't know. If, I, I recognize some of their music. Meant to Live was pretty big. In oh, the, that's meant. Okay, and, now and I know then, what you're talking about. Uh, there's another one from that same album. That's, I'm drawing a blank on it right now. Okay. Um, but anyway, I look at you and I see John Foreman, who you could play. Interesting. Well, acting. I did some acting in high school. I did theater in high school. I had, uh, you know, I had a great music teacher that... You know, she knew that I could sing because she heard me with bands and sure. she got me involved in theater when I was in high school. And I remember we did West Side Story and she said, you've got to be in this play. We don't have enough guys. I was Officer Krupke. You were Officer Krupke. Wow. I was. Wow. That's amazing. No I, singing. No singing. <laughs> I had to be in both gangs. Oh, wow. Because so I was shorthanded. I had run off stage and changed my clothes. Oh, that's hard. We had and, enough guys. You know, and so I remember it was uh, with the Jets and the Sharks. Mm-hmm. 
nobody looks less Puerto Rican than me. <laughs> You're a little blonde for a Puerto Rican, yes. So I remember I had to wear a wig, and we went to this costume shop, and uh, the only wig we could find was a Beatles wig, which my mom <laughs> gave a short haircut to. So I wore a Beatles wig to be a, to be, to be a shark. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, maybe the movies are still in your future. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> now, this is uh, this is not self-serving. This is a more of a, I'm curious, because okay. you said you really enjoyed, you're like the first person to say, I really enjoy your interviews and, uh, and be my guest at the yes. same time. And you even said to me, I think in one of our conversations before this, I've listened and wondered how I would ask answer that question. Right. Can you think of any of those questions that you that you would have wanted to answer if I had asked you those questions. That's that's I probably should have written them down as they were coming up. That's but okay. you know, I just I thought I listened to your like I said, Glenn Phillips is one of my idols, and I got to open for him once, and that was a huge thrill for me. And not only did I, I thought your interview was great, I thought the you know sometimes you listen to podcasts and when people are trying to play it, it doesn't sound, but yours sounded really good. Thanks. Like you could release those recordings as an album. I sometimes. think. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I noticed about um, your interviews, which I really appreciated, it was very subtle, but when you have younger artists in here, you're offering some really solid advice to them. I'm trying to help. And you know, the I, reason I'm doing this yes. is to help you guys. Yeah. And I really like that. Like you would ask people what happened to this project? Well, you should do that. You know, like I thought that was great. I'm like, he's actually trying to help these people. I am. You know? Sincerely, yeah. I am. I, That's I, why you're here. Yeah. I mean, I know you don't really need my help, but why not? No, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Cause like, <laughs> I, I feel like I already know you because I've listened to so many of your interviews. That's me. I'm yeah. just being me. Right. When people meet me after have, having been on the radio in Ann Arbor for 15 years, you sound just like, of course I sound just like it. I'm just talking to you. I'm not like, hey, it's John and I'm on the, like, there's no fake voice. There's, there's no, no fake, fake radio voice. No, yeah. there's just me. I'm just being me. Right. But there were no particular questions that stood out though. I, nothing I've nothing, nothing, okay. like, come up with, okay. you know, I'll probably think of one on the way home. Well, that's okay. <laughs> I, that was an actual thing I wanted to ask you because you said that. I'm like, well, I wonder what those questions are. <laughs> wonder what my favorite questions I've ever asked somebody that you thought were good. What about a job interview question that I hate? Where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, I hate wow. that question. That's, yeah. You know, I've never really done that projecting thing where you try to come up with where you're going to be in five years. You know what I mean? Especially once you get to a certain age, you just go, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. I think that, I think, you know, and we've talked about this with the band, which is, you know, it's so easy to release music now, even though it's, no one's buying CDs. It's with a couple of mouse clicks, you can have global distribution, Yeah. you know? So even though no one's making any money off it, you know, it's, it's easy to get your stuff out there. And I just think, I just want to keep writing songs and just putting as many of them out there as I could. I guess the realistic way to answer, ask that question is, where do you, where do you want to be? What level do you want to be playing? Like, do you oh. want to be playing listening rooms? Do you want to be playing Royal Oak Music Theater? Do you want to be playing the Palace? You know, palace we've talked about it with the band, which is, you know, I don't really particularly like stadium concerts, but baseball stadiums weren't built for sound. They weren't. You know, I don't like going to those big concerts. It just feels like, you know, someone asked me what it sounded like. I saw a concert at Comerica Park and I said, it sounded like you took a boom box and you put it in your bathroom and then went two rooms over and tried to listen to it. And there's shows I've been interested in seeing at Comerica Park and I'm like, nope, no, no, not going to do it. So I like theaters. I mean, I like the Royal Lake Music Theater. Mm -hmm. I like, you know, the, the, the Fillmore and the Fox is just a great, great. These are really great venues yeah. to hear or see a performance, you know. Or a and listening room like the Ark. Or the Ark is great. And I'm, I live in uh, Lake Orion. 20 so Front Street. 20 Front Street is I'll probably be there this favorite. week. Well, you really. In fact, the song I played for you, Uncommon Places, when they were building 20 Front Street, they contacted me because they did that series called Songs in the Dirt. Mm -hmm. And uh, I played Uncommon Places standing in a, on a dirt wow. floor with a cinder block wall. And, <laughs> and I remember Alan, the owner, walking me around and saying, the stage is going to be here and the cafe is going to be here. And I'm just looking around at this abandoned building and saying, you're going to do this in my lifetime, right? Because this sounds great. It's a lot of work. 
and I it's came be- back a year later and he'd done everything he said he was going to do. It's a beautiful place. It is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And before the pandemic, I was doing two different songwriter rounds. I was doing one at 20 Front Street and one at a, at a country bar in Royal Oak called the Dixie Moon Saloon. Oh, yeah. So I, did, I was doing two a month before the pandemic, you know, which I learned to do because I, I have a good friend. His name's J.T. Harding. He lives in Nashville, but he's from Detroit originally. And uh, he's, he's written seven number one country songs. Yeah. And he, he really got on the map from writing Smile with Uncle Cracker. Oh, okay. And uh, he invited me to come to the Bluebird Cafe and play with him, which nice. as a songwriter is like the Super Bowl. It's yeah. like, you know, that was the first songwriter round I did was at the Bluebird Cafe. And after that was, I think, in 2014. And then I came back and there was a bar in Birmingham called The Bird and the Bread who came to me and asked me to start hosting a monthly songwriter thing, which I was thrilled to do. And we did that, I think, for two or three years, every month. And I met so many talented songwriters just from doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of your former guests, have, you know, yeah. you know, I met through doing that show. Very cool. Yeah. So, and then, like I said, you know, after the pandemic, that got shut down and, you know, but uh, just started up again at this uh, great new venue in Oak Park called Berkeley Coffee. I have yet to go. I have oh. yet to go. I was going to go see Michelle Held and who she was playing with. And then that one got snowed out and then the rescheduled date I couldn't make. And oh, so. yep. Yeah. Anyway, I'll yes. get there. You will. Okay. Yes. Steve Taylor is my guest. You can find music from him as both Steve Taylor Solo and Steve Taylor 3. Probably easier to look for 3 and back up, Correct. as we discussed Correct. earlier. Because at the moment, there is no website to point you to. There's Facebook pages. There's yes. SoundCloud. No, SoundCloud? There's a SoundCloud, yeah. yeah. All those things are out there. Uh, we'll put links that I can possibly link in both the audio versions of this podcast and the video versions of this podcast. One final song? Absolutely. What will it be? That's a good question. Um, Something you haven't recorded yet? Do you feel comfortable giving me a new one? I, I, well, I'm going to give you a new old song. Okay. If that's if that's going to make sense. Yes. Um, song you haven't released yet. It's it's interesting. It's a song. One of the, after doing the um, Beside Myself solo album, mm-hmm. and um, I was kind of spurred on by you know there was a bunch of songs that I wrote when I was in Voodoo Hippies. But I wasn't the lead singer. We had a fantastic lead singer named Renee Paquette who has sung on all of our Steve Taylor 3 records. I drag her out, you know, and make her make her come to the studio, make her do shows with us because she's my favorite singer. But there, I wanted to revisit some of these songs just because I missed playing them because that band, it's been almost 20 years since that band broke up. And when you write songs in a band setting, sometimes, you know, especially when there's five people, things get changed around a little bit. It becomes a bit of a committee. And so some of them turned out drastically different than when I wrote them. And some of them didn't. But I'm going to play a song now um, that I wrote while I was in the Voodoo Hippies. And uh, this wound up on the, the soundtrack to a TV show called Dawson's Creek. Oh, well, I've heard of that. <laughs> I've never seen the show. <laughs> I've never watched it. but I've, I've never watched it either. I mean, you know, Paula Cole's I Don't Want to Wait was That's the right. theme. Paula Cole, also an alumni of Berkeley College of Music. And somebody who strangely, when I had her in the studio when I worked in Ann Arbor, was so grateful for me not forgetting that she existed and having her and gave me a kiss. Like, well, really? okay, thank you. Oh, <laughs> that's excellent. She likes That's me. amazing. That's yes. good. Yeah. Okay, so this song is uh, called Without. And I wrote it many, many years ago. Um, strangely enough, we've talked, I've heard you talk with a lot of your guests about the differences between streaming, you know, and the, the royalties that you receive from that. Um, this one still pops up for me. This is like sort of like the gift that keeps on giving because uh, there's two performing rights uh, 
places that collect the money, there's ASCAP and there's BMI. So I'm a BMI affiliate. And so every quarter I get a statement and it looks very impressive. It lists all these different streaming services and it's pages and pages long. And you get all the way down to the bottom and you've made $3.26. So hug. Probably a topic for another time. But this is the song that was on Dawson's Creek. And uh, one quarter I saw my royalties for this song jump up to like $30. And I was like, what? I thought maybe somebody misplaced a decimal point or something went wrong. Uh, Netflix added Dawson's Creek. <laughs> so the sync licenses are, are, are still a way to make money. So this is a song I wrote. I mean, I was probably 20 years old when I wrote this song. And uh, um, it means a lot to me. It was one of those songs where I, when I, 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 I was, I think it was the last summer I lived at my parents' house. Cause I was 20 after that I was renting houses with friends and I remember just coming home every night and playing the same two chords over and over again and just kind of free associating. Right. So, uh, that's kind of what, where the song came from. So the song's called without. again as I often am candles burn slowly and both ends who am I why am I here can I learn to overcome this fear or will it cripple me the way it's crippled you and just one simple thing is all I beg of you. And I laugh sometimes, though it's more infrequently. I still love, but now it's everything but me so let's discuss the greater scheme of things life itself and the pain it brings well it's too much for me is it too much for you I guess a change of scene is so long overdue She checks her watch And she dries her eyes And tells me it ain't that great To be alive And I must agree with her Everyone believes in destiny While fate she laughs in silent apathy And now I see it all so clearly The world turns With or without me 
with or without me. And she checks the watch and she dries her eyes and tells me it ain't that great to be alive. And I must agree with her And I must agree with her Well, I must agree Nice way to end the interview with that. That's, that's I don't know that song, but I Thank like that. You. That's I mean, this is a compliment because it sounds like the best things of the nineties. It, it's yeah, you, you can kind of see where its place was in the yeah. in the mid nineties. I there. can actually, and it's well, the reason why I wanted to play that song for you is uh, I played it at a songwriter round, and one of my friends says, "Oh, I love that song. Do you have a copy of it?" And I sent her the version we recorded with the Voodoo Hippies, which Renee sings an incredible. She's a very very powerful voice, but she goes, "Oh, I love it. It's great." She goes. But do you have a version of you singing it? And I'm like, I don't. So for the past couple of years, I've been picking at another little solo album, which I've taken a bunch of songs that I wrote for the Voodoo Hippies, and I've kind of redone them kind of in my own style, with my own voice, and just kind of the same way I did Beside Myself. Yeah. So that's something I plan on releasing this year, and Good. I've got a title for it. I'm going to call it Deja Voodoo. <laughs> Well done. <laughs> Steve Taylor is my guest. Where can people find your latest gig information? That's a great question. I have a Facebook page. It's called Steve Taylor Acoustic. So if you go to uh, facebook.com slash Steve Taylor Acoustic, I always post my schedule for the week and uh, you, you can see all my information there. I may not get this up this week, but probably what's okay. coming up in the near, near future. I'm glad you asked. I'm playing this Saturday at, um, it's called the Hawk Theater in Farmington, yeah. doing just a solo acoustic kind of intimate little thing. That's a ticketed show. You can find information on that. On uh, March 31st, I have another songwriter around at Berkeley Coffee So on a Friday. Okay. So and i got a great lineup. Um, Phoebe Holmes from the Keynote Sisters. Cool. And uh, Taylor Durouse and uh, one of my former students, his name's Eric Smith. He's going to be doing it. Nice. And then uh, we've got, uh, we have a Steve Taylor 3 gig coming up at, uh, it was supposed to be at Otis Supply on There's April no the 7th. Anymore. Yeah, we were all, I think we were all equally as surprised when that news hit. Yeah. So we had to scramble to find a new venue and we're playing at the new Dodge Lounge in, in Hamtramck. Okay. With another band called One Ton Trolley that we're good friends with. Heard of them. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then our, our big one that we have coming up is June 24th at the Trinity House. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Very familiar. I want to get that date out there. Yeah. I know you've been there. A few times. <laughs> Once or twice. Steve, nice to finally meet you. Thank you, you as for well. joining me on the podcast and for, for paying attention to it and, and like and singing its praises. Because I do work to make this a place for people to discover new music and yeah. I want to help people. Yeah. So. And like I said, I encourage anyone that's listening to this show is go back. There's the archives that you post. You There's can find of them. <laughs> yeah. So wherever you listen to your podcasts, look for Acoustic Alternatives with John Bomarito. <laughs> I just had a commercial done for me. Cool. <laughs> I don't even owe him anything for that. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Keep an eye Thanks for, for having s- me. Keep an eye out for some other ones coming up soon, including Stephen Kellogg and Jackie Pappas.